0: Welcome and greetings to all of you. Uh, in fact, I bring you greetings on behalf of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson, and the elders of Bridgeway Community Church. Uh, and para aquellos de ustedes que hablan español, bienvenidos y saludos. Just want to say hi to those folks who speak Spanish. So good to be here. Uh, as Dr. Miller said, we, um, we connected on what was actually my first missions trip of any kind in South Africa, and there was a woman there who uh, was a devout Christian, had a wonderful home, and she wanted to have our, she heard our missions team was there, and she wanted to host us for dinner, and we happened to just be seated next to each other. Um, I, I no longer say coincidences, because I now know how God works. And almost immediately, I don't think we talked to anyone else the rest of the night, we just like talked. I, I can't even remember what they served, but it was great. And, of course, we've become good friends, and God has just allowed us to have so many what I like to call God-ventures. So uh, so welcome to all of you. Why don't I go ahead and pray, and we're going to go into the Scriptures, into the uh, Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, but let's pray first. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to go into your Word once again, and I pray, as I did the first service, Lord, that... Um, we would be blessed by it. Prepare every spirit here and within the sound of my voice to receive this teaching. And uh, Lord, I pray that prayer that John the Baptist uh, prayed when he said, may there be less of me and more of you. And so Father, as uh, we go through the word today, may it edify your body. And we ask this All in the matchless name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and the people of God said, amen, amen. So I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, if you would like to turn there, that's great. Um, I don't know how they handle the whole phone and tablet thing here, but at Bridgeway, we usually say, if you want to read your Bible on a device, we're okay with that. Just make sure you remember to turn the sound off so you don't disturb your neighbors. And I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 16. And the word of the Lord says as follows. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God made his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God May the Lord add understanding to the reading of His word. If you were not here in the first service, uh, you, you need to know some of what I talked about in order for this uh, message to make sense. And so uh, we focused on the Tower of Babel, but I explained that the Tower of Babel was part of an ongoing cycle that has, uh, has its roots in the very garden of Eden. If I were to uh, pass three by five cards out in most congregations across the United States of America, uh, where you find many people who uh, go to church regularly, uh, but don't really uh, spend the time that is uh, required to really uh, know God and his word, if I were to pass these cards out and ask, using one to three words, could you tell me what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? Um, you would not get all that many accurate answers. At least any time I've done the exercise, it's turned out that way. Uh, You get people who say, for example, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about love. Well, the Bible does say that God is love, but man, sir, I hate to tell you this, but love is not the gospel. Now, let's be clear, love is part of the gospel, but it is not the gospel. Uh, If you were to say uh, grace is the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, no, grace is part of the gospel, but it is not the gospel. Um, salvation, or some people use up their three words by saying justification by faith. No, it means you've read a lot of the Pauline epistles, but no, that's not the gospel. It's part of the gospel, but the actual gospel of Jesus Christ is uh, is in uh, the, the, the uh, scriptures but most succinctly put in the first chapter of Mark when he says and he records uh, Jesus as saying in the 15th verse, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in other words, the gospel is about the kingdom of God. And where Babel falls into that situation is that from the very beginning, God has been attempting to establish his kingdom on this earth. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, uh, there are some kingdom theologians who go as far as saying that Adam and Eve were a type of king or queen. I don't agree with that. But clearly, God was attempting to establish his kingdom because one of the things that he gave Adam and Eve in the garden was dominion. He gave us dominion over the earth, over the animals, to exercise that dominion on His behalf. But of course, part of that cycle, if you will, or if you like, if you, if you prefer dancing, the part of the two-step that has been done throughout the history of world is God attempts to establish His kingdom, and man keeps messing it up. And right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden. He's told, work it and love your wife and follow my will. And what do they end up doing? They eat from the forbidden tree and out of the garden they go. But God is merciful and so he, he, uh, uh, he, he takes the skin off of animals. It's the first time in the history of the world that innocent blood is shed to cover somebody's sin. But he takes these skins to cover their nakedness and then he sets them out. Cain kills his brother. And eventually they get to the point where God is like, you know what? I'm just going to flood them out. But he's merciful. And he allows Noah and his family to escape the flood. And they begin the world anew. And what do they do? They end up getting to the Tower of Babel where we're going to create this tower uh, so that uh, we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over all the earth. Even though God has said, fill the earth. And so he confuses their language, and the next reinstallment of the kingdom comes with Abraham and the people of Israel, and we all know how that turned out. And so now we find ourselves in what I consider to be the last two-step, the last cycle, if you will. That God sent the best and final solution to this issue by sending Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to die on the cross and establish his kingdom once and for all. Now, this is all important because since Jesus is the final solution, our need, if you will, our ability to participate in this kingdom is that we must first be saved. But then we find something very interesting in this passage that salvation is not about joining a club. That salvation, uh, unfortunately for many people, they live this way, but salvation was not the final goal, if you will. It's it's not, in other words, when you say yes to Jesus, that's not the end of the matter. It's only the beginning. The way I've explained this in the past is um, one of the things I do at Bridgeway is uh, pastoral counseling, and oftentimes that involves counseling couples and you see this couple, they get married, and the honeymoon is over, and uh, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks later, here they are in my office, not understanding uh, what happened to their storybook ending. And one of the challenges with these young couples, unfortunately, is they grew up in the United States of America, where we heard lots of fairy tales when we were growing up. And how did most of those fairy tales end when you had a prince and a princess and all that other stuff? And they lived happily thereafter. And yet anyone who's gotten married and who's done marriage successfully knows that when you get up on this altar and say, I do, it is not the end. It is the beginning. It's a whole new journey where you've got to now recalibrate your life in conjunction with this person that you have be, according to the word of God, you've become one person with this person. And you now have got to find a way to live as one, even though you're two individuals. It's the same way with salvation. When we say yes to Jesus, that's not the end of it. It's not like all of a sudden you got a ticket into heaven and now you can go ahead about your business as though nothing has changed. Salvation means that we now have certain obligations in how we live and how we conduct ourselves that are important to the establishment of the kingdom of God on this earth. In fact, notice, for example, that Paul in this passage never ever calls us ambassadors of salvation. Instead, he calls us ambassadors of Christ. And in the midst of this, he informs us that we've all got a ministry. By the way... In case you are one of those people who recently came to the Lord, and one of, if, you're, if you're like the rest of us, you've gotten into this position now where you're asking yourself the question, well, Lord, what is my ministry? Right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you have just found out what your ministry is because it's the ministry that all of us have received, the ministry of reconciliation. You see, when all is said and done, salvation involves you, But it is not about you. And salvation is not the end goal. The end goal is the kingdom of God. And so the question for us then becomes, if we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ, and if we truly understand how this world is operating, then how do we assume our ambassadorship? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's in the passage. There are three things I want to point to you on how we assume our ambassadorship. The first is that you must adapt to your new identity. We must adapt to our new identity. You see, here in verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But what oftentimes we don't understand is that when we say yes to Jesus, what immediately becomes new is the part of you that's real and the part of you that will last forever, which is your spirit. But the problem for us as disciples is, the challenge for us as disciples, is that spirit is inside of this old container that we have allowed to get used to live in sin for so long. And so what happens is this is where you get Christians who are in conflict all the time. They have this desire to serve the Lord. They want to be faithful to God, but they continue in sin because they have not trained themselves through the reading of Scripture, through prayer, through being part of a community. They've not trained themselves to now live, have their physical life, live consistently with their spirit. Galatians 6.15, Paul wrote this, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In this particular letter to the Galatians, he was dealing with the issue of legalism. There were Jewish people who were coming in, look, man, we heard about this whole Jesus Christ thing, and okay, that's fine, you can say yes to Jesus, but you still got to do all the stuff that Jewish people are required to do. And Paul was saying, no, that's not how you were taught. Circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. Whether you wear pants or a skirt to church doesn't matter. Whether you have a tattoo, whether you wear your hair long, whether you wear it short, all of that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that you're a new creation and life is about us living as new creatures. Amen. Easier said than done, I know, but there it is. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, that old us... Okay, let's make something clear. Uh, Dr. Miller said I was a lawyer. I was. I'm sorry for that, but I was. And... Um, And I did not come to know the Lord till I was 34 years of age. And I'm not saying this as a source of pride. This is a testimony. I live life to the fullest. I had a wonderful time. Except that wonderful time got me to a point where I sat there and I can remember the exact chair and the exact room where I thought about it and said, Is this all there is? Like I worked this plan that everybody sold me on, that if you get an education and you become a professional and you marry somebody who's ambitious like you and you uh, can uh, buy this and buy that and all that sort of stuff and life was going to be great. And it turned out to be not true. There was a hole. And what I realized was that hole could only be filled by Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? Because we need to realize that when we say yes to Jesus, it says that we have been baptized with him unto death. Listen, that old self needs to die. The Angel Cartagena who loved to party, loved to eat, loved to hang out with his friends, sometimes in places where I shouldn't have been, that man had to die in order for eventually God to say, well, I'm glad you had fun as a lawyer all those years and all that other stuff, but I had different plans for you. I need you to preach his word. If if I knew you in college and you told me one day I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in South Africa and Kenya and Ethiopia and other places around the world, I would have laughed at you and then I would have asked what kind of drugs are you on and will you be willing to share? I'm sorry, remember, I'm not proud of that. That's my testimony. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so if you want to be an ambassador for the Lord, in fact, if you are serious about taking on your ambassadorship, one of the things that you have to do is allow yourself to live as the new creation that you are. Because it's not a matter of becoming the new creation. If you said yes to Jesus, you are a new creation. But that's about allowing that new created spirit to shine through this body that you've carried with you all these years. Come on, preacher. The second thing that we need to do, other than adapting to our new identity, is we need to alter our old thinking. In 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That is, we don't think about anyone in a worldly way. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, i.e., we thought he was a false messiah, we regard him thus no longer. One of the most powerful passages that jumped out at me when I first got saved, because can I tell you that when I got saved the following day, As soon as my lunch break at work came, I went over to a bookstore and I bought my first Bible. And I read that Bible the way a man coming out of a desert drinks a canteen of water. And there were certain verses that always jumped out at me. For example, Galatians 6, 7, right? Do not deceive yourself. God will not be mocked for whatsoever a person sows that they will reap. I had known that one for quite a few years in my life. I used to put it this way. People have what they have because they do what they do. But one of the ones that jumped out was Romans chapter 12, where at the beginning it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice he didn't say that we would be transformed by prayer notice that he didn't say that you would be transformed by the reading of your word notice that he didn't say you would be transformed by wearing certain clothes speaking in a certain way being of a certain race or ethnicity or culture it doesn't he didn't say any of that he said be transformed by the renewing of your mind that if we're going to be ambassadors for christ we need to change our thinking Madam, sir, are you one of those people who for years have looked at another person and thought that they're inferior to you because of their color or their their culture or where they're from? You need to change that thinking. Because Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. He has come, it says in this passage that I read this morning, to make an appeal to the world through us. He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that we might call the world to him. That requires new thinking. I've always loved this passage out of Ephesians 4.17. I'm going to park here just a little bit because to me what's embedded in this passage is powerful. Notice what it says at Ephesians 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus To put off, here it is again, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, our ability to live that new life is about changing how we think. Now let me show you what I saw in this passage some years ago that really blessed me. In fact, I'm going to try and condense what really was a whole message but I I want to share this with you because I think this is going to bless some of you in that in this passage I saw something that I eventually have come to call the flow. In this passage, if you read it carefully, Paul identifies three aspects of our personality. He first talks about the heart. Now remember this, that for the Jewish community in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the heart was the center of personhood. It was the center of your thoughts, It was the center of your emotions, of your wills, of your plan, all of that sort of thing. In fact, this is why in Proverbs 4.23, the Word of God says keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. I actually prefer the way I learned it originally in in the NIV version which says above all else above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so and so we see that he's got in this passage, Paul identifies the heart, but then he identifies the mind. He starts actually by saying that the Gentiles are living in the futility of their minds. The Greek word that is translated futility here is a word that means useless, empty. And, and, and he says... This, he says they're darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them Right. so this is ignorance, this is their thinking it's futile why are they in futile thinking? due to the hardness of their heart and then of course this all results in this impure living that they live so here's the flow as I read this passage what I saw is that for the human being your soul, the state of your soul affects how you think And your thinking dictates your actions. And so, oftentimes, if you see someone that is struggling in the way that they're living, it is because their thinking is faulty. Their thinking is faulty because of the state of their soul. A common example that I've seen in counseling, oftentimes, is there's a young lady. Father abandoned her when she was young. She grows up and she has a false message about herself in her mind. Here's the false message. I must not be any good. There must be something wrong with me that my father wouldn't love me. And as a result, this leads to actions where she gets always, frequently, I should say frequently, not always, frequently gets into relationships with men, and the one common denominator they have is they all mistreat her. And she thinks she has to put up with it because she doesn't think she's worth anything. She doesn't think she's worth anything because she has a hurt in her soul because her dad left. And when I'm working with her through pastoral counseling, what I've got to show her and teach her and lead, lead her through the word to see, honey, your value does not have anything to do with what your father did. Your value has to do that God loved you enough that he thought about you, created you, and gave you life and a purpose. <laughs> that he gave you life and a purpose. Amen. And, so, and so for us to assume our ambassadorship, we must not only adopt our new identity, but we must also alter our thinking. We must, as followers of Jesus Christ, allow ourselves to be transformed. And by the way, if there's something wrong with your flow, if what, is, what your flow is producing is some kind of behavior that you don't like, here's how you fix that. You reverse the flow. The flow. In other words, physically engage in behaviors like reading the word, like prayer, like getting counseling, like coming to church and hearing the word from a pastor, you do all of those things, that eventually begins to uh, reprogram your thinking, and that reprogrammed thinking is what eventually brings healing to your soul. Thank you, Lord. Do you see how that works? Mm-hmm. And so for me, for example, I grew up in a house with a mother who was physically, emotionally abusive. And I left my house with no self-esteem. But when I was confronted with the word of God, I now had to challenge myself to think about myself what God thinks and not what my mom thought. Come on, preacher. And so what did I do? Here I am, a grown man, lawyer, going to work, struggling with these issues. I took every passage I could find here, that and personalize this so for example uh, jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 i knew you before you were born before i placed you in your mother's womb i set you apart and i wrote this on a card except what i wrote was on him god knew you before you were born before he placed you in your mother's womb he set you apart he gave you a purpose I took Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared for you in advance. i him. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He gave you good works. He thought about you before he made you. He gave you works to do that you should walk in them. And so that's how you reprogram your mind so that you can experience the kind of transformation where You live your life with God's peace. And you live your life with God's truth, regardless of what the world tells you. Finally, the last thing I want you to notice from this passage is that we must accept our new mission. We must adapt our new identity. We must alter our thinking. We must accept our new mission. Verses 18 and 19 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We have a mission. Notice, for example, if you were reading at the end of Matthew 28, he doesn't ever say go out and make Christians. He doesn't say go out and make believers. He doesn't say go out and make followers. He says go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And and disciples really have two uh, missions, if you will. The first is to share our faith with those who don't know the Lord. Mark 16, 15 says this. Go into all the world, Jesus says, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We must share with the world that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the second obligation we have is to build up our brothers and sisters in the faith. I said it this morning for those of you who are already here, but I'll say it for those who are not that you are supposed to be the ones to build up the church. Thank you, Lord. Not Dr. Miller, not the board at the church, not those who are officially called to ministry. You are the church. See, one of the challenges as Americans is we've made a building the church. Or we've made showing up somewhere on a Sunday for a little bit, the church. No, no, no. We are the church. In fact, look at what it says in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. You see that? We've been given our role, not, not for us. Not, not to lead in a sense of, you know, we're supposed to come up here and do whatever it is that you expect us to do on Sunday. And then you go off and live the rest of the week any way you want to. Our job is to equip you to build up the body of the saints. And then it says, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ... So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I'm sad to say that in the United States of America, we have way too many churches filled with people who cannot explain to someone if they were asked why they believe what they believe. That most people cannot, could not go and tell someone why they are Christians. They, they will hem and haw, they will say all this other stuff, but you cannot give a cogent presentation of the gospel. And every single one of us is responsible for that from the very time that we say yes to Jesus. Paul continues by writing, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, listen, in love. Salvation and the building of the kingdom will produce love. Love is not the kingdom, but love should be the fruit of the kingdom. Let me close by sharing with you a, a quote by Scottish uh, pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this about ambassadors. An ambassador from any country is always conscious of the fact that he has a tremendous responsibility because he is the representative by whom his country is going to be judged. And to us is given the privilege and responsibility of being the representatives of the Son of God in this world. We stand for him. People judge him. Listen to me very carefully. People judge Jesus by what they see in us. And they are perfectly entitled to do so because we are the ones through through whom and in whom he is glorified. Do we, I wonder, always realize this? Let me ask you something. As people look at the way you live, what judgment do they make of Jesus Christ? What judgment do they make of Christians? We live in a time and place where division, disunity, and downright ugly division has taken hold of our world and our country. And yet the ones who are supposed to bring unity and love to society, sadly many of us participate in what has become a really unseemly circus. Jesus Christ was asked once, what is the greatest commandment? And he gave two. The first to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one, like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Notice it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with what your status is in heaven. Because you see, Your salvation is important to the Lord. He died for you to have that salvation, but it wasn't the end goal. It was the building of the kingdom of God. There's a story I like to tell, and I usually tell it at a funeral for a disciple who's lived their life well. I will close the service this way. The story goes something like this. A man... uh, has a dream where in the dream he is able to talk to God. Imagine if you could talk to God. What would you say? More importantly, what would you ask? His question was, Lord, what is the difference between heaven and hell? And so God said, come, son, I will show you hell. And he took him to this place where there was this long table, and it had every possible food you can imagine on this table. I'm talking about, I want you to think about the things you like, and it not only is it on the table, it's somewhere near where you're sitting. We're talking mac and cheese and barbecue ribs. We're talking arroz con gandules. Ask your Latino friends what that means later on. We're talking about cherry pie. Everything you ever wanted is on this table, but he looks and he sees that the people sitting around the table look sick and weak and and, and, and diseased. And he looks at God and says, Lord, how can this be? He says, son, look closer. And what he notices is that in hell these people have these long-handled spoons and they can't figure out how to feed themselves. And the Lord says, now son, let me go and show you heaven. And when he took them, the guy's mind was totally blown. Why? They had the same table. And they had all those great foods. Did I t- say that flan was on that table? There was flan on that table. There was all sorts of stuff. It was really good. And But here's the thing. What blew the guy's mind is that these people had the same long-handled spoons, and they were healthy and happy. And he looks at God. He says, Lord, how can this be? And he says, son, look carefully. And he looked again, and what he noticed was that in heaven, the people learned, learned how to dip a spoon in the food and serve the person on the other side of the table. Hallelujah. Let me ask you something. Let's not wait for a funeral to have to tell this story about you. Who are you serving today? And more importantly, what are you doing to bring unity through the Holy Spirit? in a world that is still living under the curse of the Tower of Babel. My prayer for this congregation is that you will leave this place committed to being an ambassador of reconciliation for the rest of your life. Let me pray for you.